you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We've been um, kind of marching through John, after John, the Gospel of John for a while now. Um, last week I kind of told you, when we look at this Gospel, or this chapter, John 15, it's kind of segued into, into three different parts. Um, last week we looked at the first 11 verses. And um, in those first 11 verses, we really see this emphasis placed on uh, the believer to Christ, this relationship between the believer to Christ. Um, we saw that example of the vine. And uh, the uh, key term was abiding. And we saw in those 11 verses that word or term abiding was used 10 times. So that's a lot. You know, whenever, if we can think back, some of us, it's been a while since we've been in school. But whenever we were in school, if our teacher repeated something more than once, it usually meant it was probably important. So for those of you who are in school, like if your teacher says it two or three times, you might want to write it down or highlight it. Be my guess. I don't know. Maybe just me. But Jesus used that term ten times, and so he was really, really trying to get something across there. And, and the emphasis really was on the union, the union between God and believers, Jesus and believers, that vine and the branches, right? So we talked about that last week. This week we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. And this is a, a description, um, a relationship emphasis between believer to believer, friends. Um, in fact, today's, the, the title of today's message is um, qual- uh, Qualities of a Friend. The Qualities of a Friend. Um, and, and we'll see in these uh, few verses there that the term love will be used um, four times in these six verses. And then next week will be um, a little bit more of an intense week. So this week is just a fun, loving, like we're going to just... Very practical, loving, like uplifting time. Okay, next week is a little bit more intense as we look at um, the, the final few verses of John chapter 15. And in that relationship, we see um, a discussion about the believer and the world. Okay, the believer and the world. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I, I talked about how the beginning of the Gospel of John, when John would use the term world, he was talking about all of humanity. Okay, um, all of humanity. And then it transitioned into this upper room discourse to where um, it was no longer just humanity as a whole. It was worlds referring to those who are without God, those who um, don't believe in him, um, evil, sin, world, and then those who followed him. And today we'll, use, we'll see that term friends. And so we see um, in the verse that we'll look at next week, we'll see this relationship between the believer and the world. And in those 10 verses, we're going to use, or we're going to see that the word hate is mentioned. Um, and so a lot of times when we talk about hate, that's, that's we don't really want to talk about hate. Um, and so we're going to try to look at that in the proper context and what we mean by, by hate in those terms. And then the emphasis is going to be on uh, persecution. So, so that'll be next week. But this week, we're in John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 12 through 17. And um, let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll just dig into it. Okay, so John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. And This is Jesus speaking. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the name of the Father, 
or the Father, and in the name of the Father, you may give it to you. He may give it to you. Verse 17 says, And these things I command you, so that you love one another. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray this morning as we look at this passage about um, friends and qualities of friends and qualities that we should practice in our own lives. Lord, I pray that you just help us in a, just a very practical way this morning be able to look into your word and grab, grab some principles that, that, that we can live by. Lord, I, I pray that you take your word and you use it in a mighty way. I pray that your word this morning changes lives. I pray that this morning, if there's some in here that don't know you as their Savior, that this morning is the day that they come to know you as their Savior. That they embrace your love and they ask you into their life. So Lord, we just ask that you work in a mighty, mighty way. I pray that everything that I say, everything I do, brings honor and glory to you. I pray that everything that is spoken from my lips is within context of what your scripture means and says. We love you and we thank you in your son's name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're just going to look at a couple qualities. And, and, and today we're going we're gonna to try, I'm going to do my best to not go very long. It's a long weekend, right? You guys want to go do barbecues? I don't know. What, what's, what do we do on it's Labor Day, right? I always get all the holidays. Labor Day. So what do we do on Labor Day? What is it known for? You don't really do you grill out? Yeah? Is that what you do? Or we just take naps? So we can labor the day after, right? Yeah, naps, right? So, so whatever it's going to be today, whether it's whether you're grilling out, whether you're going to labor um, on Labor Day weekend or whatever it's going to be, we're going to try in this morning. Be very practical to the point and let you guys get home to do what you want to do. So in this, in this term, right, we, we talked about the relationship between friends um, or qualities of friends. And some of these things here. Now, what's interesting is, is when we get to that word love, okay, I, if I were you, I would, I would underline that word love. You know, in, in Greek, which is the, what the New Testament was written in, in Greek, there's a, a, it's, their language is a little bit different than ours. And that, like, for us, like, we use the word love, and it's a very kind of open-ended term. A lot of things can fall into that. Well, in Greek, they had, they had three different terms for that word love. All right, there was a, a term called eros, and that's where we kind of get that word erotic, right? Very, very intimate love. You had phileo, which we get the term Philadelphia. What's Philadelphia known as? Yeah, the city of love, right? The city of brotherly love, right? And so you have that. And then you have agape, okay? Agape love. And this term right here in this portion of scripture that we're looking at is agape love. And like this was like full, absolute love, unconditional love, right? And the other terms of love, eros, uh, phileo, they were, they were, they were kind of conditional. They, they, were, they, were, they would be changing. But when you got to agape, this was a, an unconditional love love. Um, we talked about this a little bit before, but we live in a, a world today, probably not a whole lot unlike in Jesus's day, that we are in pursuit of love. Um, and so often today, we view love as an emotion. And we watch the chick flicks and we see love in context of these movies. Um, we try and apply what we see in these movies into our own relationships. Um, many of us can think back 
Um, Courtney and I have been married now for 11 years. It seems like a blink of an eye. Um, but in our relationship, when we got married, I can, I can tell you honestly, um, I loved her, but it was an emotional love. Like it was still an infatuation love. We dated for a year and a half, whatever. By the time we started dating time, we got married was two years or something like that. I, I loved her, but it was emotional love. It was infatuation still. Um, 11 years down the, the road, the infatuation's kind of worn off, right? So, I mean, anybody that's been in here married more than like six months can say like, infatuation wears off, Right? Isn't that how it works, right? And so, so within our marriages, right, we have to understand that, that love becomes a decision much more than it becomes an emotion. But emotions change. I see an elbow there. Yeah, yeah. Emotions change. We, we, we know that. We can, we can wake up one day, jump out of bed, and be excited, and this is going to be an awesome day. Right? Awesome. We're happy. The next day you can wake up miserable, mad at the world for no apparent reason. You just change of emotion. Things you can start your day off great, and then something happens that derails it, and your emotion changes. And so, when we look at this idea of love in the context of what Jesus is speaking about, we need to understand that it's not the emotional love, but it's the decision to love. It's the choice of love. Very early here, Jesus uses this example for us. Um, he uses himself as an example. Verse um, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Again, in context of the situation that we're reading, Jesus Upper room. They had just left the upper room. You look at John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those five chapters take place in one night. One night. Right, we've, we've recapped this a lot. John chapter 13, we've got the Jesus washing the feet. An awesome example there. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but me. John chapter 15, beginning there, they've left the room, they begin to walk. Jesus has this discourse now on a vine and branches and us drawing our, our, our energy, our source of life from him. And to me, I don't know if you guys catch it, but remember, Jesus knows like they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Intense prayer. Prayer's done. Judas, Roman military shows up and Jesus is arrested. Like these are some of the final words that Jesus has with his disciples, his closest friends. And you guys think this through. Like he decides in all those things, in all in these last moments that he has together, he stops and begins to talk about friendship and love. Does that catch anybody off guard a little bit? Like I could see this back, John chapter three, four, five, like early on, like we're going to establish friendships, we're going to do this thing. But like these are the your your final words, and, and we're going to go back to friendship. That tells me that that must be a pretty important topic. If Jesus is going to use some of his final thoughts, final words to spend on friendship. He sets himself as the example. Now, we, the disciples, have been told. They don't know what's going to happen in its entirety. But Jesus makes a statement. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 
Now, the idea is we all know what Jesus is going to be doing very soon, right? What's Jesus going to be doing? Laying his life down, right? He's going to be going to the cross. There's a big difference, though, in this verse because he says, for your friends. When Jesus goes to the cross, he's not going for just his friends, is he? He's also going for his enemies. And so Jesus sets this example for us. It's, it's wow, it's, it's so big. It, it's, 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 it's one of those things like in our society today, maybe it changes, but, but more than likely we're not going to have to give up our life for somebody. Every once in a while we can watch the news and hear this amazing story of someone who did that, right? But as a whole, what the lesson I think we end up seeing in that statement is we have to be careful not to place things in a higher priority than the friends and the people around us. Most of us in this room today won't be called to give a make one life-saving decision in life in which you give up your life for somebody. But all of us will be faced almost on a daily occurrence to give up something for somebody. It may be little. It may feel insignificant at times. It may require finances. It may require time. It may require energy. It's going to require something. And it causes us to have to make a choice, a decision. What's more important? My fill in the blank or my friend? What am I willing to give up for you? And Jesus says, listen, a true friend, a real friend, is going to be willing to give up those important things. I think it's kind of awesome here. Um, you look at in John, in the 14th verse there. Um, he says, you are my friends. You are my friends. Jesus begins to identify the disciples as his friends. He says, you're my friends, but there's a condition on this. You're my friends if you do what I command you. If you do what I command you. I call you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. There's a couple of things I think we can draw out of this about, about friendships. Um, there's some mutual aims. They're, they're doing the same things, right? They have some of the same goals, the same ideas, the same thoughts, the same beliefs. They're heading in the same general direction. That doesn't mean that they're carbon copies. Right? You, you, your passion may be, let's, for example, let's use um, a church thing as an example. Let's, let's say missions is your passion. Okay, you um, feel very, very drawn to missions. And you may have a friend, a girlfriend, uh, or somebody that, that's, that feels this desperate like call to missions. But, but one of you um, really believes in foreign missions, like saving Africa, Asia. And the other one, they're drawn to like the backyard, their, their own home, like the city that we live in. But now... The way they express it's different, right? But at the heart, they have the same mutual aim, don't they? So we see that in, in all sorts of relationships that we have. A lot of our friends, like, like we may do things a little bit different. 
Our end goal may be slightly different, but the process, the hope, the dream of getting there is going to be similar. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you're my friends. If you're doing, if you're on board with me, we're friends. If you're part of what I've commanded you to do, we're going and we're doing. We're working together. We're sharing the same heart. There's also this idea of confidentiality. Um, he talks about how he's letting them know everything the Father has told him. Real friends have real conversations, don't they? Right? I mean, we, we have real conversations. You begin to let the guard down a little bit. When there's struggles with maybe you and your spouse, you have that, that friend that you can talk with. Having an issue at work or, or whatever it is. Some of you guys may have like accountability partners that you get together with and maybe you're struggling spiritually or struggling with whatever, but, but those, those are friends that you can go to and you have those real, absolute, honest conversations with. And you can have those conversations with those people because of what? They're going to keep it confidential. Right? It's not like you get together for coffee Friday morning and all of a sudden Sunday morning you're all out here in the courtyard talking until you start walking up and then you turn around and start walking away. Right? You, you have the ability of being real with somebody because you know that person is going to guard that. I want to encourage us in our friendships that we maintain this idea of confidentiality to the highest degree. There's nothing more tragic. I've seen too much in churches that I've been a part of to where somebody goes to a Bible study, they, they feel that they've maybe made a connection with somebody. They have that little special moment that they think they have a special moment with, only to find out later on that half the church realizes there's a problem. Now that person's embarrassed, ashamed, and more than likely is not coming back to the church. We put ourselves in those shoes. I would venture to say many of you have had that same experience. Maybe it wasn't at church. Maybe it's at school. No one likes to be on the, opposite, on the other side of that, do they? No one likes to share their soul with somebody only to have it broadcasted out to other people. That has the potential to do tremendous, tremendous damage. Especially... If it's said to you, when the person knows that you're a Christian. Verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he may give to you. I would, if I were you, in verse 16, underline the word go. Underline that word or circle it, highlight it, whatever you want to do. The idea go. 
Remember, it kind of comes back to this whole conditional type thing. Like Jesus didn't just call us, right? In there he says that he's chosen us. He's appointed us. He didn't choose us and appoint us for us to sit and absorb. He chose us and appointed us to go. Um, We get to certain terms in Scripture that are extremely difficult to wrestle with. I'll, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I, I've told you before, I, I think, I'm, I, 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 I'm not, I don't come from a Calvinistic background um, where we talk about election and predestination, all that kind of stuff. Now listen, I want to be honest with you guys. Um, the Bible uses the terms election, predestination, Chosen, God calling us. Those are all biblical terms, okay? So, I don't understand all of it. I, 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 I don't. And I'll be completely honest with you. If you find somebody who can absolutely explain all of it and knows 100% all of it, be careful. <laughs> because there's certain things that I don't believe we'll understand here on earth. Okay, we're going to have to wait to get to heaven until God understands and or God explains it to us. And maybe when we get to heaven, our minds will be able to comprehend it. But I'll tell you this. It is biblical that God calls us. God chose us. Okay, one of the things we have to always be careful. The reason why we do expository teaching is that we always try and teach within context. You get to a verse. Okay, you got to look at the five verses before and the five verses after it to get it in context. You can pull almost any verse out of the Bible, preach it out of context and make it sound and say what you want to say. But when we look at the context of this, it's not so much talking about predestination and election. What he's saying there, in the context of this verse, is that I've chosen you, appointed you to go. To go. And make fruit. That's what we've been appointed and chosen to do. Now, it is comforting, guys. I don't know about you. It's comforting to know that we've been chosen by God. The God of all this universe chose us. And we have the ability to to connect the branch into his vine. And then once we connect into the vine, him, he's the one that gives us the nourishment. He's the one that transfers all that stuff over there. He's the one that causes the fruit to grow. But we need to be able to go and do and say, <clears throat> and then um, when we look at, at that verse 16 we also see that because of this there's this shared desire for success a friend will have a shared desire for success right, a, a, a true friend let's be honest right a true friend isn't going to try and discourage you in your moments of success are they they're not going to try and knock you down a peg or two all the time they're going to share in your success. I, I saw this. It was kind of a neat story this week about um, Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. Henry Ford was a young man, and he was trying to put together this plan to create this engine that ran off of gasoline. Right, Thomas Edison, we all of us know about Thomas Edison and Henry Ford, right? Thomas Edison, one of, if not the most gifted inventors of all time, is certainly in the top three. And they're at this 
banquet together and, and one of Henry Ford's friends introduces him to Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison is captivated by Henry Ford. Ford's younger, Edison's older. And so for a while, Edison is peppering Ford with all these questions about this gasoline engine. This is what's cool. He says um, here, finally, um, Edison banged his fist on the table and said, young man, that's the thing. You have it. Your car is self-contained and carries its own power plant. And they end up going their ways. Now, he had the idea. Ford had the idea, but he wasn't able to get the idea to work, to perform yet. He had the idea and was chasing it. And Ford here, um, it says here, years later, Ford, reflecting on the first meeting, said in a newspaper interview, that bang on the table was worth worlds to me. No man up to then had given me any encouragement. I had hoped that I was headed right. Sometimes I knew that I was. Sometimes I wondered but here, all at once, and out of a clear sky, the greatest inventor in the world had given me complete approval. The man who knew most about electricity in the world had said, for that purpose, my gas motor was better than any electric motor could be. That's a friend, isn't it? I'm, even in, that, in, the, in, in their time, to a certain extent, they were somewhat of rivals. Like Ford's chasing the gasoline engine. Edison's doing everything electrical. And then, bam, this, this one older, wiser man, in this moment of approval, encouragement, prods on the younger Henry Ford. What a lesson in friendship. Sharing in the success of others. Sharing in the success of our own friends. And John concludes this with almost the same way he started with verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So that you will love one another. Love's not an emotion. It's the choice. Love's going to have good times. And love's going to have to make some difficult decisions. Friendship. True friendship. Guys, I want to be honest with you. When it comes to this style of friendship, Jesus is imploring these disciples. Guys, I'm about to leave. Remember, I'm going. This is when you need the friendship. This is when you need each other. That's why he takes the moment here to talk about friendship. Because he knows he's going to be gone. The disciples are going to be there by themselves. They need something to wrap around. And he's saying, guys, here's some context of the friendship that you need to have for each other. You not need to make sure like the things that you value here are not more important than the friends that you have. You need to make sure that as you guys come together, that you have the same, same aims together. Like the, the friends that you choose. That, you, that you're working towards the same goals. This week I, I had a chance to meet with some people. And kind of sharing my testimony a little bit. And I've mentioned with many of you before about my own issues when I was in college in my 20s on alcohol. Like I remember like in that season in that time of life 
Like I had friends, but our mutual aim was to go out and party and drink and have fun. Like when God got a hold of my heart and I had to make a change in my life and I I went away from that lifestyle, me and that group of friends didn't have the, the same mutual aim, did we? Like I'm trying to go this way and they're trying to drag me this way. I would encourage us as we choose our close friends that we choose people with mutual aims. I remember Sarah's here. Um, Sarah Lane was in the youth group that I was youth pastor at before Redemption Hill. When she graduated, we, we had the seniors, her and Justin, a few others, come and, and share a few words with the youth as they were leaving. Um, and one of the one of the thing the thing that Sarah said that will probably bring in my ears for hopefully forever. Is she had turned to all the kids there in the youth group and she told them she goes, "Hey guys, make your church friends be your best friends. Make your church friends be your best friends." Like that was true in their group. Like they had a group. Jacob's here. Got Justin Taylor, Sarah Trey. There was there was a whole group of them. Like they were. They were best of friends at school and at church. And so when things in life, no doubt, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of her, but, but, but certainly as things in life came, they had a group they could go to with mutual aims. Adults, we need to have that same thing. I would encourage, I would tell you the same thing that Sarah told those 6th, 7th, 8th graders. Like adults, I would tell you, make your best friends be your church friends. Can make your best friends be Christians that have mutual aims, mutual desires, mutual beliefs. Remember the idea of confidentiality. Of holding those things, those, those cherished things that someone allows you to understand and hear. Protect those things. Be that person that that one person knows they can go to when they need to talk with somebody. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He's rallying those disciples together. He's letting them know that, listen, this world, and it becomes even clearer next week. The world that you're in hates you. And you need those people to hold you up. This story of love um, I was reminded of, of something I had read a while back. I'm a I love history. World War Two, um, Nazi Germany, concentration camps. I don't, I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity of ever going and literally going on to one of these concentration camps. I, I was 18 years old, just graduated high school, had the opportunity to go um, over to Europe. And I remember going to Auschwitz. I mean, stepping, and I mean, guys, like, 
I've never felt evil like that before or since. Like you, you, you were there and like you just felt the presence of Satan. I mean, it was, I, I can't really explain it. I mean, I'm not saying I, I saw any, I mean, I'm just saying it, it, you just felt evil. I mean, going and, and seeing the places where the, the people had slept and the stoves in which, and, and the shower area. I mean, just, just, oh. I mean, just, uh, oof. There's a story about a man named um, Solomon Rosenberg. And Solomon and his family, like many of the Jews during this time, were arrested and put in one of these concentration camp so a labor camp it was Solomon and his wife they had two sons Joshua was the oldest and David the youngest Solomon's parents were actually there too as well and the rules of the camp were pretty well simple you can live as long as you can work but once you reach that point where you can no longer work then they would terminate you And so they would go off to work in the morning and and Solomon would come home after hours of labor and come back to where they were all in their sleeping quarters. And he would look and try and find all the familiar families, all the the family faces. And they would gather together and just thank God for one more day of life. Over time, Solomon saw his parents march off to the death camp. In Solomon's heart, like he knew the next one would be David, his youngest son. He, he, he knew it because his son was frail, had always been frail. And he knew the time would come when, when David just couldn't do it anymore. And, and David's time at the camp would be over. And so he dreaded that. So, so every day he'd come back with, with just, just concern, hoping and looking for his family. One day he came home or came back to the camp. Looked and looked and found none of them. Couldn't, couldn't find anyone in the family. Heart began to race, upset, shaken. Finally, he finds his oldest son, Joshua, in the corner crying, on his knees praying. So he runs over to Joshua and, and he says, Joshua, Joshua, what, what happened? And Joshua said, Papa, they took David today, this morning. He couldn't do it and they took him. Solomon upset, broken, his son. And he turned to me and he said, David, where's your, or Joshua, where's your mom? He said, Dad, um, David was so upset when they came to take him. I mean, just broken. He he knew what was happening. He, He was crying. He was broken. And mom came, grabbed him by the hand. He said, it'll be okay, son. Let's go. And mama went with him. That's love. See, that, that, that's love. That, that's a mom who's going to be there with her son. And as David drew his last, last breath, so did mom. The love of Christ was as great as the love of that story that mom is. The love of Christ is so much more, so much greater. We say this almost every week. 
Romans 5, 8 says, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When Jesus died, it wasn't for his friends. It was for his enemies. It was for you and me who were, who were living in sin, were rebellious and didn't want anything to do with it. But he loved us so much that he died for us. That's the model of love. It's the model of love that we need to work towards. And as we grow closer with him, through reading his word, through singing his praises, through, through speaking with him in prayers, as, as we grow closer to him, we grow closer to that kind of love. I hope and pray that as our community looks at Redemption Hill Church, I hope the first thing they think about is love. This is not me trying to water down what the Bible says. This is not me trying to say, well, we're only going to talk about nice little things. No. But we're going to choose to love. We're going to choose to love. Not an emotion. It's a choice. We're going to choose to love. We're going we're to choose to love those who maybe aren't quite as lovely. We're going to choose to love those who maybe don't do things quite the same way we do them. We're going to choose to love those who are far from God in the hopes that God uses us as a vehicle to bring them back to God. We're going to choose to love those who could care less about God, who don't know God, hoping and praying that God uses us to be that branch that bears that fruit that God calls that person or those people to Him through us. And then in our individual friendships, We're going to try and model that love. So when those times come, when those speed bumps in life occur, we have those close individuals like Jesus had. Jesus didn't have thousands, did he? At this point, he had 11. That he could gather around. Pour himself into be encouraged and lifted up. So this morning, folks, uh, hopefully in a very practical way, I would encourage you this afternoon to go back this evening, read this section of Scripture, John 15, 12 through 17. Think about this idea of love. Love in your relationship with Christ, but love in your relationship with your friends around you. You know, this style of love, though, when it comes to our close relationships, we have to be careful about. We're called to love liberally. Okay, we love all. We're kind to all. But we can't have that close, deep, intimate relationship with everybody. We can't. There, we only have so many resources, right? That's why I go back to make your church friends your best friends. Make, find your group of people two, three, five, whatever it is that you can fully put yourself into 
And they can fully put themselves back into you. Be the type of friend that, that doesn't do things with the hope of the reward. But the knowledge of love. Let's be good friends. Let's love those who walk through these doors. Let's love those who will walk through the doors at our next campus. Let's be known for love. Let's try and model his love on a cross. And the only way we can do that, folks, is to draw closer to him. Let's pray.